4. <clears throat> the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein, for he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord, and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Our Old Testament reading from Isaiah in the seventh chapter, also the sermon text for the day. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ask a sign of the Lord your God, let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. And he said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men, that you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. The Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such days as have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah, the king of Assyria. This is the word of the Lord. Our epistle reading for the day from Paul's letter to the Romans in the first chapter. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. I invite you to rise and honor the gospel from Matthew's gospel in the first chapter. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in hers from the Holy Spirit. She will, be, or she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. 
All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. This is the gospel of our Lord. You may be seated. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for all that you have done to gather us into your presence as you promised to be here in your word and in your sacraments. As you bring us into your presence, you forgive our sins on account of Christ. We thank you for the peace that you have brought us in him. We pray you also work by your Holy Spirit, remove distractions from our hearts and minds, and let us rest in that peace. In Jesus' name, amen. This time where Isaiah was talking to Ahaz, it's kind of a crazy one. And there's a lot to unpack and work through, and that's kind of what we're going to do today. But he asked him a question, and it's a question that you've all wrestled with. In fact, I bet you wrestle with it just about every single year. Okay? Isaiah goes to Ahaz and he goes, hey, what do you want for Christmas? Okay, not exactly. But he said, ask anything of your God as high as heaven or as deep as Sheol, which is exactly how your loved ones ask you what you want for Christmas, right? Ask anything you want, whatever it is. And as a kid, I always remember knowing what I wanted. You know, you go wait in line, you go sit on Santa's lap, and he asks what you want, as high as heaven, or as, no, maybe not. But it was easy. I want a new skateboard, I want a bike, I want video games. And get a little older, I want a car, I want a surfboard. Get a little bit older, it's a bottle of whiskey. You know, whatever it is, you know what you want, right? In the last couple of years, it's been kind of interesting because... There's so many amazing things that have come in life and so many amazing relationships that have been built in life. That question is getting harder and harder to answer. Because I look around and, I mean, the stuff's there. And it's stuff, but then the people are there. And that's beautiful. And the opportunity to spend time with them is there. And that's amazing. And I don't really know what to ask for anymore. So I kind of get where Ahaz is coming from. Except he's doing it for a completely different purpose. You see, Ahaz isn't not answering, that was an odd phrase, but Ahaz isn't answering the question out of a mindset of, I've got everything and God has been so amazing. When Ahaz hears that question from Isaiah, when he says, Ahaz, king of Judah, um, you don't quite believe yet. In fact, you've shown that by bringing in all of the false nations. You've shown that by siding with Assyria to take care of Israel and Syria. Those are always confusing, Assyria and Syria. But Ahaz had sided with Assyria because he was worried about the northern kingdom of Israel, which are his people, right? But they're not the tribe of Judah. They're the tribe of Israel up there in the north. They were coming in to take over the land, and they had sided with Syria to come in and take over the land. And so there's all this contention, and the kingdom is divided. And Isaiah comes to Ahaz, this great-great-grandson of David, and he says, Look, you've brought in foreign nations and foreign people and don't believe in our God anymore. Ask anything as high as heaven or as deep as Sheol as a sign. God will give it to you so you'd believe. 
It's not the first time that's happened. Remember, Gideon in the Judges did pretty much the same thing. The angel of the Lord came to him and he said, the Lord wants you to lead. And he goes, yeah, is it really him? If so, make this sheep wool wet in the morning, but everything around it dry, right? And then later he goes, no, I don't quite believe. Make that dry, but everything around it wet. So this idea of showing a sign to show God's truthfulness and reality and realness to whoever it is he's talking to is not new. And during that time, the prophets often got to be the ones that would point whoever it was in this position of leadership for God's people back to God, right? And it was usually when things were absolutely broken, falling apart. So he said, again, Ahaz. You're walking a fine line here, buddy. You're departing from the faith. In fact, you already have departed for quite some time. You've left God's word and God's teachings and God's house, and you've brought in all kinds of things from foreign nations. In fact, you're trusting more in these foreign nations to help deliver you than you are in your God. So again, ask anything as high as heaven or as deep as Sheol, and God will show you how real he is. And Ahaz says, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. Which sounds all fine and good, because in Deuteronomy, we also hear you shall not put your Lord to the test, but when it's your God asking you to test him, you don't refuse that. It's him right there saying, let me show myself to you. Believe in me. Trust in me. Hear my words. Watch what I can do. So really, Ahaz is answering out of this place of unbelief. He thinks he's got it all covered in his own hands. He thinks he can take care of it all on his own. He doesn't need God's help. He's got Assyria, this mighty nation off to the side. So Isaiah gets a little upset. He says, all right, fine. You kind of switch gears as you hear it. It's not the Lord talking anymore. It's Isaiah talking. He says, is it too much for you to be a pain and to really be annoying to my people that you also have to be annoying to God? Get over yourself, Ahaz. So he sits there and he says, fine. You know what? God's going to show you a sign anyway. Now, we talked earlier about how the prophets can also be very poetic. And you have to kind of imagine something for me real quick. As you look at these prophecies and you hear these prophecies, imagine driving down a very long straight road through the desert and then you're finally coming across a mountain range, all right? As you see that mountain range from a couple hundred miles out, it looks like everything is right next to each other. All the peaks line up and it just looks like a wall of mountains, right? As you get closer to that mountain range, you start realizing that there's some that come first and second and third, and you're winding in between them, and there's some depth to these mountain ranges as well. When you hear the prophecies that are spoken about by Isaiah and Jeremiah and Daniel and all these guys, they're kind of seeing a future time that God is revealing to them, but it's a couple hundred miles, several hundred years ahead of time. So they're kind of seeing all these things that look like a wall of mountaintops that look like they're all lining up. So you hear a couple of different prophecies in this short bit of verses from Isaiah. And he says, look, in the time a virgin will conceive a son, 
and she will call his name Emmanuel, God with us, right? So this virgin sometime off is going to conceive and bear a son. Okay, that's going to come. But then he also says, basically in that amount of time, about nine months, right? And then in the time it would take to wean that child, so 18 months, 20 months, somewhere in that time, you're also going to see Ephraim, which is Israel, it's the northern kingdom, and Syria, who's sided with them, wiped out, deserted. So you get this further prophecy of the virgin birth, but in that same amount of time that you would see that happen, this other prophecy in Ahaz's time is going to happen. So you get kind of a now thing and then a later thing that Isaiah is talking about. So he says in that amount of time for all that stuff to actually happen in real life, you're going to see a child born still, and that ends up happening with Isaiah and the prophetess that he's married to. And then in that amount of time that all that stuff happens, the northern kingdom of Israel and Syria are wiped out by Assyria. Comes in, ravages. And then the king of Assyria, who Ahaz was trusting in, started making his rounds closer to Judah, down the road. And he was able to see some of that happen. But then even that, a little while later through one of his kids, Assyria came closer and closer to Judah. In fact, they were within 20 miles of Judah, ravaging the towns, wiping them out as they came closer and closer and closer. See, Ahaz was a man who didn't believe. And through that unbelief, the judgment of God was wiping out through these other nations and wiping out everything that was coming along. But one of the things that he promised Ahaz was that Judah would be spared. His people would be spared. His promise would continue. Have you seen those moments in life where you pray about something really, really hard and you wish you saw the answer to it in your time frame? And you don't? It's hard, right? Sometimes it takes generations. Sometimes you never actually get to see the answer to your prayers, but your family somewhere down the line gets to. Or this thing that you want within a community, or this thing that you want within a church, whatever the case may be that you walk through and you pray for so earnestly and deeply, there are times in which you don't get to necessarily see the answers to it. It doesn't mean God's not going to do it, because God's character and his promises don't change. God is the one who fulfills his promises. God is the one who promised to save his creation and save his people. And that promise is absolutely going to be fulfilled. And so there's times we get impatient. I know. But don't let us walk down the road of Ahaz where we start trusting in other things to bring some sort of fulfillment to something we want. But to listen to Isaiah, to listen to actually ended up being Ahaz's, I can't remember exactly if it was his son, grandson, or great-grandson, but it was a little while later, Hezekiah. As Assyria came in through the places and was wiping out towns right around the side, a messenger went along from one of the towns to go talk to Hezekiah, and he said, hey, look, king of Assyria is coming. You want to send your allegiance over with him? And he said, no, I'm going to trust in God. He got a little closer and he goes, hey, did you see that last town got wiped out? That's coming your way. 
You don't want to surrender? And he goes, nope, I'm going to trust in God. And it was in that time of Hezekiah that the Lord wiped out Assyria, made it happen to where they did not come into the land of Judah. So even in that kind of second level of mountain ranges right there, God's people were saved from the coming destruction of Assyria. And then the promise still needed to be fulfilled down the road. And you hear that in Matthew. As the virgin, Mary, does conceive a son, Joseph is kind of mind-blown about this whole thing that's going on and not really believing that that's done by the hand of God. So he's saying, you know what, as a just man, I'm going to quietly divorce her so that she's not going to carry shame in the community, so she's not going to be stoned to death, so that she's not going to be cast out by the people. And it's in that moment that another word from the Lord had to come, not from a prophet like Isaiah, but from an angel visiting Joseph and saying, hey, here's the sign that you've heard about for forever. Here's the sign that was promised in the garden. Here's the sign that was promised by Isaiah to Ahaz. Here is the salvation of God's people. The one who has come to save the people from their sins. This very baby Jesus is the one that Mary carries. And you even hear Matthew say it, this was done so that the words of the prophet Isaiah would be fulfilled. So we would see fulfillment of God's promises to know that his promises don't change, to know that he is there to make things right between a broken creation and a perfect creator. And he does this through Christ. This beautiful baby born in Bethlehem so long ago, but something that absolutely changed the course of history something that brought peace between creation and the creator, this one who was born to die in your place. And we can wrap our heads around the fact that Jesus was born to fulfill a promise of God, but it's also so beautiful to remember that Jesus was born for you. He was born so that he would walk the same paths that you walk, yet do them sinlessly. He was born so that he would carry your sins to the cross. He was born so that he would walk into a tomb that we will all have to experience, except he walked out of it to hand you over life, so that you would have life after death, and life through death, so that death would not be the last word in your life, but life with God would be, so that we would be gathered together as his people without a worry of destruction, without a worry of anything else, without a worry of any sadness or hardship or anything, and all the things that you pray for here in this time and all the things you want with healings of diseases and having to not worry about stressful situations and all of the financial issues or food or relationship issues, all those things done away with. All of those prayers answered. All those things that you have asked God for and maybe seeing glimmers of hope, maybe seeing some of those prayers answered, maybe waiting patiently for some of them to be answered. Know that in Christ, when he comes again, they will all be answered. And our biggest ask of anything would be, Lord, forgive my sins and gather me under yourself. And he says, yeah, that's a, that's a request as high as heaven, absolutely. And that's been granted to you. Already, done, complete, forgiven in your baptism on account of Christ. That prayer, done and answered. Don't have to worry about it. And then we look forward to the day that Christ comes back so that we'll see all of his promises fulfilled. 
But we wait. But we wait, trusting in the Lord. Amen. Would you pray with me? Thank you for what you have done for us. That in our prayer, we become impatient, yet you promise to fulfill all of your promises. And you will answer our prayers, maybe not in ways we expect, but in ways that are needful. So we pray that you give us the strength and the peace to trust in your word of forgiveness and life in Christ for us. In his name we pray. Amen. I invite you to rise as you're able and we will sing.